Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hi there, everybody. This is Dr. Caputo, and in today's installment, we'll be talking about the management of patients after hepatic artery embolization. Let's start with the case. So it's your short call day. And you get a call from bed control that a patient who just received an elective transarterial hepatic embolization needs to be admitted for post-procedural observation. You quickly glance at his chart in CPRS and you see that he's pretty young. He's in his mid-50s. He doesn't seem to have too long of a list of medical problems and vitals look pretty stable. So you can't help but ask yourself, why can't I just send this guy home today? In this talk, we're going to address why these patients deserve at least an overnight observation admission. We'll start with the fundamentals of the embolization procedure itself, and that'll prepare us for the complications of the procedure, including the clinical signs and symptoms of post-embolization syndrome. Lastly, we'll talk about when these patients who have had the procedure and are doing well are ready for discharge. So let's start out with the fundamentals. Who gets embolizations? Why do they get them? And what exactly happens during this procedure? When we're talking about hepatic artery embolizations, we're typically talking about cirrhotic patients who have developed hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC. If the patient has a localized HCC and they are not a candidate for other therapies like transplant or surgical resection, the treatment of choice is local liver-directed therapies like embolization. At our hospital, interventional radiology performs these procedures. So to get this procedure, a patient needs conscious sedation. The hepatic artery is accessed via the right femoral artery in the groin, and then contrast dye is injected to identify the specific branch of the hepatic artery that's feeding the HCC we're talking about. Particles are then injected into that artery to cut off the blood supply to the tumor. In ideal situations, damage to the surrounding liver parenchyma is pretty minimal since tumors generally get their blood supply from the artery, but the rest of the liver cells get their supply from the portal vein. So this procedure usually takes about three hours, but it can vary from one patient to the next. But once they're finished, they're often sent to the fourth floor short stay unit for observation. So that's where we're gonna meet our patient today. Now that we know what happened during the procedure, let's talk about how we as providers on the general medicine service can contribute to this patient's care. So we hear about the patient after his embolization and we are asked to observe him overnight. What exactly should we be looking for? We can lump the answer to that question into two main buckets, complications at the access site and complications of the embolization itself. First, let's talk about the access site. Luckily, complications at the site are pretty uncommon because the catheters that VIR uses aren't very large. That said, it's still a good idea to peek at the access site in the groin when you first meet the patient and then again the morning after the procedure. We're looking for evidence of bleeding or ecchymosis. We're looking for evidence of vascular complications like pseudoaneurysms or AV fistulas. So specifically palpable masses or thrills on palpation and bruies on auscultation. Second, and more importantly, let's talk about post-embolization syndrome, which is a very common complication of this procedure. It can happen in over half of patients. Most common symptoms associated with this syndrome include severe right upper quadrant pain that's often associated with the transaminitis, nausea, vomiting, or just generally not wanting to eat, 
low-grade fevers, or leukocytosis. When this happens, it can potentially take several days to resolve, and patients may need to stay hospitalized for supportive therapies like hydration and symptom control until they start to get better. The more arteries and lesions that are embolized, the higher chance of developing this syndrome. Less common but more serious complications can include liver failure, biliary tract injury, kidney injury, or even ulcerations in the GI tract near where their procedure was done. So now that we have an idea of what we're looking for, let's talk about how to appropriately screen these patients for complications. Hopefully you're convinced that they at least should be observed overnight. So we admit this patient to the 4B short stay unit. We order some PRN meds, we check some labs in the morning, and after we've gotten sign out from the night team, we're trying to decide if the patient's ready for discharge. First and foremost, this patient's going to get a thorough history and physical to clue us in on whether they're developing any symptoms suggestive of post-embolization syndrome. We wanna ask about pain control and appetite. Changes can manifest as severe nausea or just generally not having eaten any food since the procedure was done. Serial exams should focus on vital signs to look for fevers or any evidence of hypotension. We should look at the belly for any tenderness or distension. We should look at the procedure site itself, and we should do a general exam for any evidence of organ failure, like evolving jaundice, volume overload, or mental status concerns. We'll also want to peek at labs to make sure nothing jumps out as concerning. For example, a downtrending H&H could suggest a bleed. Changes in renal function, increasing bilirubin, or leukocytosis could potentially suggest post-embolization syndrome, especially in a patient who's having symptoms. It's important to keep in mind the small bump in transaminases in a patient who's otherwise completely asymptomatic, feeling well, and eating like a champ shouldn't give us concern. The clinical syndrome is way more important than any specific number. Patients who have concerning lab changes or any symptoms may need to stay longer for supportive measures and trending of labs. It may take several days for symptoms of post-embolization to abate. If after three to five days, though, the symptoms aren't getting better, or if the labs are continuing to trend in the wrong direction, or certainly if the patient becomes unstable, we need to start considering those less common but more life-threatening complications. And at that point, liver imaging and a GI consult are probably warranted. But again, we examine our patient the morning after his procedure. He's afebrile, he's completely hemodynamically stable, he's eating and drinking normally, and he's not having any pain that's pretty reassuring that he's ready to go home. Thanks so much for joining us for this installment, and we'll see you next time. The views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veterans Affairs or Durham VA Hospital. See you next time.